0: if we haven't met, I'm Chip Freed, the lead teaching pastor here at Garfield Memorial Church. If you're worshiping with us for the first time, or you're new, you're out of town, I hope you'll say something in the chat. Pastor Kurt will be in there, uh, Nikki sometimes, our outreach coordinator, others. We just want to greet you and welcome you. Um, if you give me a moment of personal privilege uh, for the Garfield members and friends, uh, some of you know, uh, some of you may not know, uh, that my father passed away late Thursday, so it's been a pretty rough weekend for our family. But I have to say to you, the texts, the Facebook posts, the emails, um, the Twitter uh, messages, those things that you've sent to me have been so kind. I have not responded to them. There's been so many. Um, but just know that your prayers, uh, your thoughts, they're just like sweet honey to the soul. Um, and they carry us through. You know, I, I am so appreciative of how this church provides care. And it's not always in person, right? The, the pandemic has taught us that. But just to let people know they're on your minds, you know, when, when I first got here over 16 years ago, and we had a few hundred people, you know, Pastor Terry, myself, and other staff, we could do like, you know, try to provide care ourselves as pastors, and we got up to over 1,200 people. That's just not possible. We, and we have to be a community of care. That's what the early church was in Acts. The apostles didn't go around making hospital calls. They were teaching the word and proclaiming the word. And, but the community was doing all those one another's, encouraging one another, um, you know, weeping with one another, rejoicing with one another. So I am just so appreciative of the way you all provide care and this, this past weekend. And, you know, I've been the beneficiary of it. So thank you. Um, the second confession I want to make, Pastor Scott preached about confession last week, and I'll, I've always been a confessional preacher. You never have to wonder how I'm feeling, okay? I decided years ago I wasn't going to try to be an expert in things I don't know about. And my wife and I in our ministry, we have always tried to, sh- to share, we're trying to drink from the same cup that we're offering you, the cup of God's grace and God's forgiveness and God's love. So here's a confession. I don't feel like preaching today, okay? I'll be honest with you. Um, So here's the deal. Be patient with me. And if I fumble, if I have to look at my notes, if I'm a little off kilter, if I can't call down fire from heaven, uh, would you help me as we preach this word together? We're in this series, Worthy, where we're talking about worship. And worship is so essential to who we are. We need worship. Now, I may not feel like preaching, okay? And I'm up here. I don't need to preach. We've got so many great preachers around here. I'm doing that out of personal responsibility. But boy, did I want to get to worship. We need worship. Jesus said this to us. He said, you weren't made for the Sabbath. It's not like God has a big ego and he wants to fill a bunch of auditoriums with people chanting his name. He said, the Sabbath was made for you. You need worship. You need this time to center yourselves, to do the things that we've talked about. As Pastor Scott talked last week uh, uh, to... You know, to confess, to make room from God, as I said two weeks ago, to enter into worship, to do the Hallelujah, to lean in to what to Yah to Yahweh. I'll talk about that in a bit. To to cast our our hearts upon God as we launch out into another week. It's Black History Month, and I'm a child, one of the fifth the fifth son, uh, the only white son. He told me of Dr. Gardner C. Taylor, the man who Time magazine called the dean of all uh, black preaching. Um, Dr. Taylor worked with him he said to me one time something I've never forgotten he said worship is the time where we take the gods that we have created the little gods the things the idols that we made gods and we take them before the God who has created us and we leave those gods there to die we need worship you know the psalmist said I will bless the Lord at all times his praise shall continually be in my mouth now I got news for you when he or she wrote that, probably he from back in that day and age, I know they were going through something. I know they didn't feel like preaching either. How do I know that? Because when everything's going good, when things are going wonderful, you just say, oh, bless God, praise the Lord. You know, you're just blessed. But when you say, I will bless the Lord... At all times, you are preaching to yourself. You are saying, I'm going to fight through my hands my feet. I am going to go to the house of the Lord at all times. Not just good times, not just best times, at all times. I'm going to put myself into a position of worship. Now, I know I'm now to the place. We talked about the call to worship. Pastor Scott talked about confession. Um, and now I'm talking about now after we've entered into a time of praise, after we've entered into a time of prayer and opening ourselves up, then we get into a posture that we're in right now, and as Pastor Terry was reading the words, of listening, listening to the Word of God. Now, I know go, God has a sense of Humor because this is the third time I'm telling you, here's a a morning where I even told God, I was like, God, I really don't feel like preaching today. And I almost felt God chuckle. He said, yeah, and you're preaching a sermon on how to listen to sermons. So uh, God's humor sometimes is big medicine too. So how do we listen to the scripture that's read and taught? First off, I want to give a foundational principle for you to hear. We need a word from God. We need a word from God. That's why we listen in to hear, is there any word from the Lord for me? <clears throat> Two scripture places I thought of this morning. One from the Hebrew scriptures and one from the gospel that really I needed this morning. It was Jeremiah. Jeremiah during a very turbulent time. Babylon was getting ready, King Nebuchadnezzar to come and to ransack Jerusalem, to destroy the temple, to burn the city to the ground. But the leaders of Jerusalem were hoping that didn't happen. King Zedekiah. And it was all this political tension and division. We've been here before. And it was all this upred and, and there were all these political prophets that would sing whatever the king liked, right? Whatever their party liked. Have we seen some of that? Oh yeah, God is on this side or God is on that side. But Jeremiah said, no, God is on God's side. And this is not an issue about which king is right and wrong. All of us have fallen short. All of us have turned to idols and forgotten the God who brought us into the land. And you know what they did to Jeremiah? They beat him up and they threw him in prison. They hung him in a cistern. They wanted to kill him. But even corrupt old King Zedekiah said, bring that prophet to me. And I love that place where Jeremiah comes in, beaten, wounded. And Zedekiah just said, man of God. Is there any word from the Lord for me? And that's sometimes how we come. My favorite passage is Jesus was teaching the word, teaching the gospel, but teaching the real gospel. You know, the one where he talks about love your enemies, uh, bless those who curse you. Go the second mile, turn the, you know, your cheek when wounded, um, don't judge, give even when you're not sure that someone uh, will appreciate your gift, all the difficult stuff. And John tells us all the crowd starts to leave. And there's Peter, he's kicking rocks right by the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus looks him in the eye and he says, are you going to leave too, Peter? You remember what Peter said? Where would I go? Now, this is not Holy Peter at Pentecost. This is Peter that Scott talked about last week when Jesus came and said, Depart from me, I'm a sinful man. But even that Peter, even the pre-resurrection Peter, knew, Where am I going to go? You have the words of life. See, this is what we need we need a word from God there's a lot of words out there in the world aren't there and they have a lot of power we've seen the power of words right now there's debating on politicians or or coaches or others can we just talk however we want to or is there accountability for our words like we grew up saying sticks and stones can break my bones but words will never hurt me how many of you know that is an absolute lie I like to say sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can go and break me in places that sticks and stones can never reach. And that's why Peter said, I need different words. I need words of life. That's why John said, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. And all things came into being through him. And apart from him, not one thing came into being. And what came into being in him was life. Do you hear it? Words of life. And the life was the light of all people. And the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness cannot overcome it. And the word became flesh. It came to us and dwelt amongst us. That's the words of life. That's the words we need can reshape us. Do you remember when God, uh, in the beginning, God created heaven and earth? And what did he do? He spoke a word. Let there be light. Let there be life. Let there be birds. Let there be vegetation. And let us create them male and female. in God's own image, right? Words. Spoken, created words. Do you know the words of God can recreate? I want to ask you, what words have been spoken over your life? By someone in authority, by a parent, a grandparent, an aunt, an uncle, a sibling, a teacher, a coach, someone you admire, a pastor, somebody. Somebody spoke a word over your life that blessed you or bruised you. And it, it shaped something in you. I want to let you know God's word can recreate and reshape The blessings or the curses. God is a wonderful equalizer. If you get, you know, too high or too haughty, he'll humble you. If you get too low, he'll lift you. And God's word does that. I think in John chapter 8, I'll get to the psalm in a minute, I promise. But in John chapter 8, that terrible and wonderful story where they catch the woman in the act of adultery. So it was a setup. It was a trap. And they drag her out in the street naked, shamed. Uh, in front of the crowd, humiliating. Throw her at Jesus' feet. And Jesus says something really interesting. He gets down on his knees and he begins to write with a finger in the dirt, in the dust. Scholars have debated, what was he writing? What was he doing? And I like to think Jesus at that moment, the same hand that reached into the dust to make us was reaching into the dust again to recreate us because he was looking at this sinful, broken world. Sure, the woman had sinned, but what about this crowd, this mob, this sexist, patriarchal, full of themselves mob that was willing to exploit a woman and leave the man alone? Jesus saw this corporate sin and individual sin, and he began to recreate in the ground. Remember, he said to the crowd, go ahead, those of you who have no sin, who have no flaws, have never said anything wrong, yeah, you go be the judge and jury. And that rock party turned into a, walk away party didn't and then down in the dirt with this woman at his feet eye to eye in her shame he recreates her life with his words he says is anybody left to condemn you and she said no Lord she already knew he was a man of God the next thing out of his mouth is going to shape her life and what does he say neither do I condemn you Now let's get to work on things that are not putting you in this position and are breaking down you as a precious child of God. Oh my gosh, what that must have done to her. Can you imagine if Jesus had said something like this? Well, look, you got one shot. I let you off this time. You're pretty lucky. But don't forget, you know, she would have walked away in guilt and shame, but she heard words of no condemnation. Would you realize you need to listen to the word? So that God's word can reshape your life. So what, why is the psalm, the psalm talks a lot about words and, and the need for words. Now the psalm does something interesting, because some people say, look, I don't need the word of God, all I need is a good walk in the woods. That's what refreshes my soul. And the psalmist acknowledge, acknowledges that. For the first six verses, the psalmist talks about the heavens are telling the glory of God. The stars, the moon, uh, the mountains, the ocean. It, 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 it's giving us uh, nature, right? That's why Paul in Romans 1 says that, that, that the nature, the God's creation, had, had given testimony. Since the creation of the world, uh, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. Being understood from what is made, so that people are without excuse. See, he has said, uh, the Romans said that, you know, creation sh- gives us information about God. We get information. We, we see the sunset, and it tells us about the magnificence of God. But there's a paradox here. And I want you to look at these words that Terry read in 191 through 3. Even when they're acknowledging nature can help us watch this. It talks about nature speaking. The heavens declare, right, the glory of God. The skies proclaim. That can be preached. The work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after After night, they reveal knowledge. But then this paradox. But they have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. So what the psalmist is saying, yes, a walk in the park, uh, a beautiful sunset, uh, you know, it can give you information about God, but it's not enough. In other words, if you want to know that you see the magnificence of nature, you know there's a magnificent creator, right? But you don't, you can never know. That God loves you. You can never know that. Just simply through nature. And that's why it's very interesting. In this passage, the first six verses, when there's talking about nature shows us God, gives us information, it uses the Hebrew word Elohim. God, magnificent, powerful, omnipotent, transcendent, God. But at verse 7... And on the rest of the psalm, when it talks about God's words and God's precepts and God's decrees and the things it says, it uses the word for God, Yahweh, personal covenant loving God. See, and that's why we need the word. I'm going to put this up on the screen for you. Without the word, ready? Without the word, we cannot know about the love of God in general or the grace of God in particular. Right? You, you you can't know about that apart from the words. You know, if you want to know there's an infinitely transcendent God, go look at the Grand Canyon. But if you want to know that that infinitely transcendent God loves you and wants to be in a relationship with you, you need His words, right? Because I want to ask you. Some people say to me, like I say, I don't need God's word. I believe in God as a God of love. Where did you get that idea from nature? Have you ever watched Nat Geo or you know or any of the shows? Have you ever seen the poor willow beasts, right? Like if the lions don't get them, the crocodiles will. I mean, Annie Dillard, I quoted her early. She wrote a book called uh, Pilgrim at Tinker's Creek. And she went and sat by a little stream in Virginia to look at nature and find God. And what she saw was nature in its tooth and claw. And she found out it's pretty violent. Like where do you look at a tornado or a tsunami and say, oh yeah, God is love. Or do you get that through human history, right? Take any era of human history. Look how we've conducted ourselves, how we've behaved. And you go, oh, yeah, history, nature, human nature shows me God is love. You don't, there's nowhere you get it except through God's words. That it's have kept letting us know that we are loved. That's, that's, that's where you get it, right? And so I want to say to you, we need this word because this word Restores us. Did you Did you hear that verse? The Lord is perfect in nineteen, refreshing my soul. That word "refresh" in the Hebrew can be interpreted refresh, restore, or revive. It's the same word in Psalm twenty-three. Now, I've been at you know. Almost every funeral, I'd say 90% of them want Psalm 23. I have heard Pastor Terry read Psalm 23 and pre on more than I've heard any other person in the last 16 plus years. And there's something about that psalm that does uh, touch us, the, the, the good shepherd. And for some, it means so much for you that he, he leads you uh, uh, by still waters, or he makes you lie down in green pastures, or his rod and his staff, they comfort him. Let me tell you the word in that psalm right now. That's helping me and has always ignited in me when I hear it. When it says, the good Lord is my shepherd, he restoreth my soul. That's the old King James. That's his word. See, God's word, the words from the good shepherd, the words from the gentle shepherd, they restore us. <laughs> they revive us. They refresh us. Now, what does that mean? This word is only used in the Hebrew on something that is broken down and in need of restoration. In fact, builders would use the word, this word in Hebrew, restore, revive, when they were dealing with a house or a structure that was so dilapidated, that was so in disrepair, that it was not even livable. So when we say the word of God refreshes, restores me my soul, and our soul is the inner person, it's who you really are, it's saying that that soul is crushed, it is suffering, it is in need of repair, and only words from the lips of our Savior can refresh us and restore our soul. Now, maybe a good workout will refresh your body, but what is going to refresh your soul? What's going to restore us? See, our souls get broken, sometimes from the outside, some of us, our soul, your soul, I get it. You've been crushed by this pandemic. I, we're tired. We want it to be over. It's, it's, it's driving us mad. We want to be with friends. We want to go back to life as usual. We want these options, and it's, it's crushed our spirit. For some, seeing the, the horror of Arbery and George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and others and, and the sting of racism, and just it crushes our soul. Have you experienced that? The pressure from without. Paul talked about words of life come and restore our souls. And sometimes we're just broken from within. Our own sinfulness, our own brokenness, our own flaws and, and poor choices and those things break us from within. And we desperately need God to come and to refresh our souls. I remember I was preaching in Chicago and this one sticks out to me. Because it was a church where not normally there was a lot of um, talking. It was real kind of intellectual. Everybody would listen. And, it, and, and I was out there in the 90s and I was speaking and i can't remember what my sermon was or what it was on but what i'll never forget is i said something and a brother about 40 years old in a suit over on this side of the the, the auditorium sanctuary he just jumped up and he screamed oh thank you lord i needed that and he sat that back down and wept i don't know what it was but something was restoring his soul And when you talk about that, you talk about God's word differently. In fact, Psalm 1 talks about, I delight in the word of the Lord. Something when God's word hits you. Let me tell you, Pastor Terry shared with me some prayers. I'm just going to share you four of them real quick. That uh, were from Haiti. When the Haitians came to understand Jesus Christ, they began to talk about God's word in in not just like, oh, you know, hobby-dobby, but really in these real Uh, tangible ways listen to their prayers Uh, after conversion here's one oh great physician your word is like alcohol when poured on an infected wound it burns and it stings but only then can it kill germs if it doesn't burn it doesn't do any good here's another one father we are today all hungry baby birds this morning our heart mouths are gaping wide waiting for your word to fill us. Here's the third one. Father, a cold wind seems to have chilled us. Wrap us in the blanket of your word and warm us up. Finally. Lord, we find your word like cabbage. As we pull down the leaves, we get closer to the heart. As we get closer to the heart, your word gets sweeter. See, this is the only way we can know the love of God. This is the only way God's love can restore us. And it's the only way we can know about God's grace. God's grace right? To know about God's grace. David says, and this is a psalm of David, David, at those last words, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart, O God, be acceptable in your sight. That word acceptable means perfect. And and David is crying out to say, may you look at me on the outside and the inside and see me as perfect. And everybody knows David was not a perfect man. So what was he doing? Scholars say he was Through the power of the Holy Spirit, he was uh, channeling somebody else—one of his ancestors, who's in some tradition called David's greater son, Jesus, who stood in our place and took our punishment, that we could be acceptable to Him. I'm gonna jump down, guys. So, if we if we start if we look at ourselves in light of what Jesus does for us, it can begin to revive us, right? Because the law of God, the words of God, they don't crush us now. They restore us. Why? Because we're not saved by what we do. See, if we try to follow every odd and tittle of the law, because Paul even said he was, he was an expert in the law, and he was breathing violence because the law just crushed him into powder because nobody can obey the law perfectly. Nobody saved Jesus. And when we know we're not saved by what we do, we're saved by what Jesus does, then we can be revived. I'm gonna I'm gonna trip down to the end guys on how to receive this word how to receive this word okay so we talked about why how that we need it why we need it and 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 how do we receive it that's some practical advice okay I'm sorry I'm jumping all over the place here on my okay how do we receive it two two ways I'm going to tell you as you're leaning in and listening to God's word the first way is to do this sit humbly Under the message and listen intently for God's message. Sit humbly under the message and listen intently for God's message. Now, we don't do that. We don't sit humbly under the message. You know what we do? We sit in judgment on the preacher. We do. I'm the worst at it. I'm the world's worst. I teach preachers. That's why I had to confess to you guys today. I'm playing hurt. I had blah 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 because I, we just tend to do that. We sit in church. I was doing a doctoral class. I'm teaching one at United Seminary in Dayton. And we had this big immersion week and I had to speak and others from our team. But every morning, they had a chapel speaker. And so we would go in chapel speaker. And the first day, it was a person and they were reading all their their notes, I mean every letter and I'm over there like, "Hey, sis, can you just look at the can we see you a little bit?" So I I I tuned her out and the next day at eight o'clock it was another young woman and she was so happy dappy and everything was butterflies and rainbows and and she I said nobody can be that happy when they preach so I tuned her out and then the third day it was another brother and he was a he got into it and um and he went in about eight minutes into his sermon he started to hoop he went to hooping now if you don't know what hooping is Ask one of your African-American brothers or sisters at our church, i will tell you. And I've hooped a little, but, you know, and Dr. Taylor never really liked hooping, but it's okay to, I guess, hoop for maybe two or three minutes, but do it for 20, and I'm tuning you out. And then at the end of the week, I got all these nice little comments. People saying, oh, Pastor Chip, when you preach, this is what I got of it. Can you come speak to our? Coach? And they would be so pleasing to me, and all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit just cut me to my heart and humbled me in the dirt and said, you're getting all this affirmation and praise and all you did with the preachers all week was tune them out. You know what I did? I went back and started listening to those messages again online. There were parts I didn't like, but there's some really good stuff in there and I missed it because I wasn't sitting humbly under the message going in and saying, wow, that introduction was too long, or, oh, do I agree with this person's doctrine or politics, and not just sitting humbly under the message. Tim Keller is an American preacher that I really respect, and Tim Keller, uh, he just retired a few years ago from Redeemer Church in New York, but he talked about before Redeemer, he was at this church in Virginia, a small church, and there was this young man in his 20s, he was a drug addict, he'd been in out treatment, he'd be in and out of the church, and one day he asked to meet Dr. Keller, and he sat in his office, and he said, Dr. Keller, I gotta say to you, um, you know, you talk down to us all the time. You act holier than thou. You act like you know everything, and you treat us like peons. And it gets in the way. And Dr. Keller said to himself, huh, consider the source, right? But he went home that night, he said, and he talked to his wife, and he realized, young man had a point, <laughs> And so Dr. Keller said that instead of, don't just look at the source, listen to the message. In the Old Testament, there was a prophet named Balaam, and Balaam was going astray. He was, he was leaving God's word, he was going to his own devices, and God couldn't get his attention. So it says that Balaam was going out of town, and he was riding on an ass. That's the King James term. And we don't know, it could have been donkey, could have been mule, but it was just ass. He's riding on ass, and God, to give his attention, touched the ass and spoke to the prophet. So what's the moral of the story? Don't just dismiss the messenger as an ass. They may be, they listen to the message. And listen to what God might be saying to you, right, on behalf of all preachers. We're just donkeys, we're mules, we fall a little short. We're imperfect vessels. God said, through the foolishness of our preaching, right? But sit humbly and listen to the message. Get out of your self-righteous judgmentalism, Chip, and listen for God's message. That's the first point. Second point, how do you receive it? Do your own critical thinking. See, that's the other side of the coin. We can, we can just be so critical that we can't hear and so arrogant that we don't listen. On the other side, we could just be gullible and naive and, hey, I like Pastor Chip, anything that comes out of his mouth, it's got to be the Word of God. Or I like this preacher, it's got to be the Word of God. They Anything they say, no, do your own critical thinking. Listen, because I can get off track, any preacher can. There's some bad preaching that's going on out there sometimes. See, I'm I'm going to take you to seminary for a real quick minute. We have three words we use exegesis, hermeneutics, eisegesis, right? I'm not speaking in tongues, promise. Exegesis, we're going to hit this slide real quick. Exegesis means to lead out, it's a critical examination of a text. That's what myself and Steve and Terry and Scott, when we're preaching, we're supposed to get into the text and dig in and let it speak to us in its context. Then you would come to what's called a hermeneutic, where we come to conclusions from that after studying it. Here's the dangerous one that's out there. It's called eisegesis. And it means interpreting a text in such a way that you're introducing your own agendas, your own biases onto the text. Commonly it's called reading into the text to convince your pre-held belief. You've got to be on guard for eisegesis. So preachers like me just reading stuff in. You know, because I, I, I want to be pro-life or pro-choice or I want to be a uh, liberal or conservative or I want to speak to this or to that. And so I'm imposing on the text instead of receiving from the text. So I don't want you to ever take it lock, stock, and barrel. Do your own thinking, dig deep. I love it when I get questions after sermons and somebody say, hey, when you said this, what, what does that mean? Let me think about it together. Let me end with this. When you do these things, when you sit humbly under, Paul says something very interesting in Ephesians. In Ephesians 2, 17, he says this, So Christ came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. Don't you love how God's word speaks to whatever condition you're in? If you're feeling far off today, like me, a little maybe a little wounded, a little struggling, God, Christ comes and preaches peace to you. If you're feeling near and you felt that God has been walking with you this week or this month or through this pandemic, God comes and preaches the word of peace to you. But the interesting thing is it says Christ came. Now, Paul, Ephesians was in Asia Minor. Jesus never went to Asia Minor. So what what does Paul mean that Christ came and preached? What he means is as human beings, as broken men and women came to Ephesus and, and Corinth and Thessalonica and Cleveland and Pepper Pike, and Solon, and Shaker Heights, and Cleveland Heights, and Mayfield Heights, and now you're mad I left your city out. But Christ came there too. As he comes to foolish and broken men and women, donkeys and mules, and spoke, if you can hear it, if you can listen, Jesus Christ will preach his peace to you. And that's why we need to listen to God's word. I hope that's been an uplift for you today. It's been a real lift for me to be here. So God bless you and keep you. Let's go now to prayer.